How can we make the world better? By making ourselves better. The Dr. Joe Show explores how you can make positive personal change by using his groundbreaking and highly effective I Am approach to understand who we are and why we do what we do. Your small changes can have big effects. Join us now for the Dr. Joe Show with Mark Stiles of Stiles Law and your host, Dr. Joe Schrand. Welcome, Mr. Anthony. It's a pleasure having you here. I'm Dr. Joe. Sorry I was late. Thank you very much. No, 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 no. Believe me, there, there is no, no lateness when it comes to COVID. We are <laughs> yeah. actively involved. Isn't it remarkable how just our words have changed, that positive is now a negative and negative is now a positive? Who would have thought that just a couple of years ago? So welcome to the show. You know, Tom, let me introduce Mark Stiles, my co-host. Hey, Dave. How are you? Hi. I really oh, enjoy your show. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's and you're you're coming uh, to Boston within yeah. the next couple of months. Yeah, I'm going out on tour, which I'm a little scared of. But uh, yes, I am. Uh, I think in June we'll be in Boston. Yeah, May, yeah. May, May, May or June. May? I'll, I'll, I'll <laughs> see you there. Right. Awesome. Right. Yeah, yeah. Ho- hopefully, you'll be there in May, Dave, because <laughs> yes. people will have missed you if you're coming in June. <laughs> That's right. Um, but and that has a whole nother dimension touring during the time of COVID. So we can yeah. maybe talk about that. But I am going to ask Tom, if you wouldn't mind, just to introduce our two guests and we will get started with the Dr. Joe show. Tom, who do we have tonight on our show? We got Chris and we got uh, Dave Anthony. Good. That's it. Thank you very much. Would you want to <laughs> tell us anything a bit about them, Tom McCoy? Well, Chris for Crossing Sills. Uh, a former castmate from A Christmas Carol 2021. He is a teacher at Southeast Regional Voc Tech. I don't, you got you to find a better name, dude. Because uh, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't pick it, you know? I'd well, love to. Take the initiative. <laughs> and comedian, writer, and host of the Dollop and West Wing thing, Dave Anthony, who has been battering my eardrums for the past two years as I binged his <laughs> theories from uh, beginning to end. Also founder of Planet Change 10 and guest star on shows such as Veep, Arrested Developments, and that show, The Office. Yes, The Office, yeah. That- yeah, I've heard of that show. That, well, that's great. Well, both of you, thank you so much for coming here. So we have a really um, interesting discussion that we wanted to talk about tonight, which really has to do with this remarkable virus called COVID. You know, one of the things about the I am approach is... Um, there are four domains, the home domain, the social domain, the I see domain, how I see myself, how I think other people see me, and the biological domain, uh, the biological domain of our brain and body. These four domains interact all the time, but I truly believe we respond the best we can. And because the domains interact, a small change can have a big effect. What could be a smaller change than a virus? I mean, think about it, a virus which has entered into our world, enters into our cells uninvited and creates what we have seen a massive change in both our home and social domains and our IC domains, how we see ourselves, how we think other people see us, and of course now our biological domain. So with that as sort of a foundation, we're gonna be talking about COVID and schools and how this has had an impact 
on what is arguably one of the most fundamental expectations of our children in this country to attend a school. So with that in mind, let's just get right into it. Christopher, you are a teacher. Dave, you are a parent. Mm -hmm. Mark is a parent. Tom has been a student. And I'm lucky enough to have been an adolescent at some point and actually gone to school. So where do we want to start? Before we do that, Dave, could you tell us a little bit about the dollop West Wing thing and the stuff that, that brings you into this? Uh, yeah, so the dollop is a podcast. It's a American history podcast that I do with another comedian. And I, I basically read him a story from history that he's never heard and he just kind of reacts to it. Um, I'm very much a leftist, so it comes from a leftist point of view. I, um, I guess it's modeled on Howard Zinn and how he sort of approached history. So um, it's Howard like it. Yeah, it's like an homage to him, basically. But isn't it more um, how, how Howard he approached history? Well, he looked at it from right. um, oppressed people's point of view, from labor's standpoint, and and you know people of color, and um, the, the history we get is the the white man's history from the top. So he looked at things more from the bottom up, mm -hmm. um, which is you know most people's history. Sure. So, sure. Uh, and then the West Wing thing is another podcast I do, which is um, the West Wing influenced quite a bit of people. And it's just a TV show, so it shouldn't be taken seriously. And so we just kind of go through the politics, the actual politics of the West Wing and how they're actually not that great <laughs> and we actually analyze them. So it's, it's more like breaking down a TV show that influenced a lot of people that maybe shouldn't have. Fantastic. I'm just curious, how did you get these ideas? Well, history, um, I've always been super into history. I had an uncle that it was a history teacher. And uh, so I just, I loved him and I got into history when I was young and I used to have another podcast where I just talked to a friend about our lives and I didn't want to talk about myself anymore. And I was yeah. like, well, I love history. So why don't I do a podcast about history? And so I just, you know, just kind of came together from there, but I'm, I'm just a huge history guy. Terrific. And Chris, tell us a bit about yourself. Well, I've, I've taught for, you know, almost 15 years at Southeastern Regional and um, I've loved every second of teaching. I started teaching English um, for a number of years, and then I started teaching uh, video production and performing arts for the past five or six years. Mm. Um, I was instrumental in founding the first theater program at the school. And uh, uh, this past uh, couple of weeks ago, uh, my school opened uh, its brand new theater that they had built because before, uh, before coming to the school, there was no theater. And we just, um, my superintendent has always been incredibly supportive of the program and the arts. And um, he, he uh, uh, is retiring at the end of this year. And one of his last big things was to build us this theater, which was a remarkable achievement for us. And, um, you know, I, uh, outside of, I, I do a lot of things. Outside of that, I'm also uh, a summer camp director I work mm. with kids. Uh, I've been a summer camp director in Hanover, Massachusetts for five summers. So uh, I worked through COVID running a summer camp as well. And uh, we've actually run a fairly successful summer camp that we reported zero incidents of COVID over both summers. Wow. Uh, that we've gone with it. So I've, I've dealt with COVID pretty, 
pretty heavily both in the classroom and uh, as a camp director. Wow, and what, what ages, what grades do you teach? Um, so I teach in high school. I teach uh, you know, grades nine through 12. And mm-hmm. at summer camp, I work with kids between the age of five and 15 and staff members of 16 to 24. Uh, zero incidents of COVID for two years? We, we really, we were one of the few summer camps that decided that we wanted to try to provide camp to kids. We were one of the few that first summer that faced it head on um, and said, we wanna be able to provide kids. And listen, we were all masked. We mm-hmm. lowered our numbers and we, uh, we instituted cleaning protocols. We instituted everything. Um, and we had a very, again, a high level of success. And we've uh, benefited from that. And we passed on what we learned from those summers to other camps to try to help. And um, you know, I'm very proud of what we did. I'm very proud that we took the chance because there were points where they turned to us and they said, do you really wanna take on this challenge? You know, In April and May, they're like, do you really think you can do this? And there were points where I, I didn't know if we were gonna be given the opportunity. I didn't know if we were gonna have that chance, but we did and had a wonderful staff and very supportive infrastructure through the YMCA that uh, helped produce a really wonderful summer for these kids. And um, I think there was also something very rewarding, stressful, (laughs) stressful, but rewarding because I think a lot of parents really appreciated that we were there for their kids, especially after the school year that they had had, after being remote, after losing that connection, losing those social skills that they get because we're dealing with kids who are five to 15. And, you know, the thing that I've, I've had a lot of conversations with people about is right now, there's a lot of kids who've missed a developmental step. There's a lot of kids mm-hmm. that have missed uh, uh, that social interaction. And um, the past summer that we had, I, I looked at my staff and I said, you almost want to think of each kid as really developmentally like an age behind. You know, those yeah. kindergartners, those kindergartners were, were, were all remote. They missed a year. And even though they're in first grade now, they're missing steps. And everybody's missing steps all the way up the ladder. And mm-hmm. there's a real tragedy to that. Um, they, might st- they might still have the, the knowledge. They might still have the information. But what I always talk to people about is that there are certain soft skills that you learn at school from being around people from going to recess, from having fun with with friends. And those are the things that were gone for a whole year. Right. And it was so important to, I I felt it was so important to run camp to help those kids. Yeah, yeah. Dave, I I see you you nodding your head a lot as Christopher is talking. What, What resonates with you? Well, I think I think this social aspect. So my son is 12 now, so 11 when it started. So he was basically getting into like, oh, this girl likes me. I like this girl. How do I talk to this girl? Like it was and I remember that age and it's a really important time to go through that and maneuver that and figure out how to talk to girls. And if you even can, are you too scared and all that stuff? So he he was really like at a point where he was he was having like, I like this girl. What do I do? And I would talk to him and then the door came down 
and and I think that you know all the kids his age did miss a year of that and I think that's for that age I think that's probably the most important social thing that's going on um and as far as as far as getting them out there like I got him he has a baseball team that shut down but they started it up again and so that you could tell him coming home from his baseball practices because all they were doing was practicing no games but it made a huge difference he's just interacting and they're being knuckleheads and they're doing what boys do and it and again the, his baseball team very masking outdoor doing the whole thing like wash your hands before you come to practice everything they could do and um and it's very beneficial but there's a lot of kids that didn't have that like there's a lot of kids that didn't have a camp or i'm um, sorry siri's talking to me there's a lot of kids um that didn't have a sports team and then they were just in the house and i think you know problematic you know for a lot of kids and and how did you guys manage that how did you help your 12 year old well we had a very depressed 12 year old on our hands um we could see him sort of shutting down and but again you have the the other side of it he's scared of covid he's on he's at that age where he can get on tiktok and hear stuff and he can go online and hear stuff um, so he's getting scared and he's watching the deaths. Like he had a little thing that he watched and, you know, the kids process it in their own way and you just kind of talk them through it. So, you know, he's got all that anxiety going on and then he's getting depressed. We actually took him and went to a small town where relatives lived for six months to wow. get him out of Los, to get him out of Los Angeles because um, there wasn't as much COVID there. It was like kind of more of a rural place. And, and he, could be a little bit more of a kid there. And then we came back after six months and got him into the baseball. So we kind of had to take drastic action because I saw a very depressed child. Mm -hmm. um, and, and there wasn't any, there was no other solution because you, the schools were shut down. And even if the schools were open, I, at that point, I don't think we would have sent him, you know, back um, because I didn't trust what was happening in the school. So you know, it was, it was a really difficult, you know, it's a difficult time for everybody, but everyone has their own story. Everyone's got their own child reacting in their own way. Some kids did amazing in online school. Yeah. He didn't, he, he really struggled with online school. He hated it. He absolutely hated it. So, mm. you know, you just, you had every, every parent has to maneuver it in their own way. You know, if, if it makes you feel any better, I also hated teaching remotely. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard that. I have a lot of teacher friends. They, they have said the same thing. <laughs> it, it was, it, I, I, I have to tell you, and, and I really had a wonderful support structure for my administration focusing on our mental health as well. But, but I, I, I actually have, I'm, I'm very honest with people that that was probably the most, I've taught for 15 years and teaching remotely is probably one of the most miserable things I would much rather have a student cuss me out in class in front of other students than ever teach remotely again. Like I would, I, I it was one of the most just uh, demoralizing, um, just mentally draining. Um, and I mean, it was, it was horrible. And I can only imagine from, uh, and God bless you for what you did for your son. Like, it sounds like you were able to find an outlet for him and I got you know and, and and we all recognize that there are other people that were not able to do that but I'm I'm really happy to hear that you were able to find 
that your son had that baseball and everything. That's fantastic. That yeah, well, that you had that. He's a crazy baseball kid. He loves baseball. He's really good at it. So it like we were very lucky that we had that, you know, it, it it's like it's his joy. Like he loves baseball so that we were able to do it. You know, that really helped his mental health. Hmm. Awesome. And and when when you moved to another town, did he continue to do remote school in yes. his original town? Yeah. So we stayed in his district and and he would get up every morning and do remote school and and you know just like if he had been here it's just that the difference is that we could feel more free going outside and doing stuff it's so interesting go on christopher i i have a, i just have a question for you just because with, with with remote and everything how long what what in, in those initial stages what were they giving what were they giving him to do remotely and I know that sounds like a really obvious question, but like uh, my, my school was pretty good about trying to keep the kids engaged academically and try to getting them in work that was relevant. But did you feel like they were giving your son, like what, what, was, what was the quality of the work that you were receiving, like that he was doing? Was it uh, like, like, what kind of work were they giving him at that point? I'm curious because I've heard lots of stories from different people about what it is that was being given well, to kids in those initial stages it wasn't good so it was yeah. you know they selected one of those online programs and it was often confusing and uh the teacher was always there but she was a first year teacher and this is really hard for a first year <laughs> teacher i mean talk about jumping into the fire like i had tons of sympathy for her it wasn't really working um but the, it was just like online multiple choice sort of stuff lessons that were just online multiple choice over and over, over again a little bit of reading to the kids um you know follow along in the book but not a lot of interactive stuff and then they'd throw up a video that would be an hour and a half and I would always see stuff like that and I would think, well, these kids are on like Twitch and they have, they, they're watching a video and they have another person commenting in the corner and they're also texting at the same time. And when you throw a video up, it's snoresville. Like they, they just don't care. <laughs> right. And a lot of the, a lot of the videos seem like we're just killing time. Yeah. That's really how it came across. But again, we're talking about, they were thrown into a situation they weren't prepared for. And who knows what will happen in the next pandemic. <laughs> but, right. Um, you know, if we ever have to go remote again, I would hope that our society is more prepared and has a more integrated and, and interactive educational system online. It's not, it doesn't seem like it would be that difficult to come up with, but what we had was, it just wasn't very good. Yeah. It was innovation is adaptation and adaptation is innovation. Mark, how old was, was, were your kids uh, in the beginning of the pandemic? I had a seventh grader. I had a 10th grader and a senior. And, and what was your experience like with this? You know, it was challenging. It was, um, you know, you, you know, you, you, you try to make the best of it. Right. Um, the senior, it, it, it was tough. I mean, it started his junior year and then into his senior year. So, you know, it, 
things like his baseball junior year was eliminated and then the football for the senior year. And, you know, it was demoralizing because these are things that they look forward to and, you know, to be online school, you know, in those, you know, you're not learning that well, you know, there's, you know, you're not getting the best of the best, but, you know, it's interesting, you know, I was thinking about it as we started, you know, and you started talking about middle school and some of those struggles, um, my youngest was in seventh grade and, you know, part of, part of the joke that we talk about with middle school, it's like, gosh, if I could just block that whole period of my life out, that would, that would be great. But, you know, and he was doing some real experiment of stuff on YouTube. You know, he was, you know, during COVID, he was getting really creative and he created his YouTube channel and, you know, he was doing a lot of stuff that I think if he had to go into school the next day, you know, the kids would be like, oh, I saw that. Ew, what are you uh, doing? And they might have, you know, it might have shut him down, but they didn't have it. And so, you know, he kept going and going and kind of broke through this period where even if somebody said something to him, it wouldn't matter anymore. But, you know, in those early evolution stages of what he was doing, it could have gotten muffled by, you know, those critical middle school kids. So, you know, if there's a COVID positive, you know, for him to um, eliminate that, you know, awkward year wasn't the worst thing, you know, for him. But, you know, I know that, uh, you know, a lot of people struggled through that and it was tough. It was, you know, and we tried to normalize it as much as we could as a family. And, you know, it's like, this is the agrarian era. Let's go out in the yard as a family and let's, uh, you know, let's do things together. And, you know, so, so it was interesting, but, you know, it's amazing how quickly you start to already forget, right? And Dave, you talked about the next pandemic and I was like, oh, yeah, I kind of <laughs> froze up for a second. Like, really? We're going to even <laughs> think about doing this again? Because I don't want to think about that again. Yeah. Were there any, any times where you felt like, ah, the heck with it, you know? Okay, so it's COVID. My kids are, you know, we think are relatively immune to it. Let's just get him into the school. And, and if, if that is the case, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, if that is the case, I wonder how the teachers then felt if the teachers are not immune to COVID. So Dave, did, did, did that ever cross your mind? You know, let's, let's just get my kid back into the classroom. I, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a voracious reader when it comes to this sort of stuff. Um, I, did not want to send him back to school because I did not feel the school was doing enough to make the teachers safe, which ah. most concerned about was the teachers and the staff because they are older and more vulnerable. Mm. And, um, and then I, like, I did not think my son would do well because I, th I thought the anxiety of being in school with possibility of catching COVID would be a lot for him. So yeah, it's, it's definitely, it was definitely something that we discussed, me and other parents um, discussed a lot. And our, at the end of the day, our teachers union was fighting for the children's safety and the school board was fighting against the children's safety. Um, yeah, it was just very blatant. And so that, that was just problematic. I, I still don't like I don't think they're doing enough still. I think there's just basic stuff. We, everyone in N95 or K95 mask, 
let's get the air circulating to what the scientists say it should be. It's, it's kind of basic stuff, but they just don't want to spend the money on it at the end of the day. And they don't, they are convinced we have sort of a conservative board. So they are just convinced like, well, that doesn't really hurt kids, but I'm of the opinion. Well, one kid <clears throat> hurt is too many. So let's do everything we can to make sure that doesn't happen. So I'm yeah. curious, how is, how is the school board finding against it? Sorry, Tom, I'll go right back to you. How is the school board finding against it? So like um, when we, let's say when we came back from the break, the teachers wanted mandatory testing for every student and every staff before they came back to campus. And the school board said, no, we'll, we'll do volunteer. So it's just, it's just a bunch of different things like that. Anytime it just sort of just, well, that's just obvious. You should test so you have a baseline and kids aren't infected coming back and you can start from, you know, sort of zero. The school board would always fight every single little thing like that. Um, they, they're really following, they have to follow what LA County does. So the minute LA County says no masks, they'll rip them off. Um, wow. So it's all, it's, they're happy to just go with nothing basically when I mean, we have two board members i don't think even believe in covid so it's you know mm, yeah it's not great tom what were you gonna say no, yeah so it's just uh dave mentioning that well the fact that there's the possibility of one getting infected compare that to how relatively little in imposition it is to just have kn 5 masks or to improve ventilation and that goes into the wider conversation of letter rip because I had a personal transformation listening to the dollop over the beginning of the pandemic was when I started. It was the one about uh, the Japanese soldiers that didn't think the war was over. And from there, I just got pulled in. And there was one episode, I forget what it was. And you pretty much said, at some point in your life, you're going to have to ask yourself what you're okay with seeing. And having a very, very vulnerable sister-in-law who like, she catches COVID, she dies. And to hear let her rip, we're going to have to learn to live with it. You know, there's everyone's going to get COVID. Uh, I'm not okay with seeing that. And to, to know that it's possible for, you know, kids to get it. Are we cool with that? And what, what mitigation can we all agree is not an imposition? Well, there's, there's a certain Ayn Randian objectivism to the whole thing, which is that if it doesn't affect me, it, you know, I'm not bothered by it. You know, the argument of, well, I'm healthy, I'm safe. It's not a big deal was what I heard a great deal of, you know, that idea of it's all about me and my need and I'm okay. I don't understand, which to me is counterintuitive to what, for instance, I do in a classroom, which is try to breed an idea of community. We all look out for each other, you know, there were a lot of just warring philosophies going on out there. There were a lot of ideas. And, you know, what I found the most interesting during the whole process was how just wanting to help other people, like that was the idea that people pushing against. Like Tom, you're, 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 you're coming from a perspective where you're saying, you know, I am, I'm related to someone who, who is immunocompromised and, and COVID is very dangerous too. But the, the thing that's really interesting in my mind is, and, and I mean this in a good way, I don't need that reason to, to do the right thing. Like it's a, it, we, we're going through a pandemic. We should all look out for each other. 
We don't know who is going to. You have someone who obviously is immunocompromised. However, we don't know if any of us are. You know, we don't know until it happens. Um, and I, I don't want to call people selfish. I really don't. But I, I just found it hard to watch people make these decisions and fight for 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 such selfish means. You know, again. Like, I didn't know who your sister was, but I knew when this started that I had to do what's right for people like that, whether or not I knew that person directly or not. And Chris, at the outset of this, I was one of those people. Mm. I thought, yeah, I was like, well, I'll be fine. Why don't you just stay inside? (laughs) Yeah. And so, and I remember it was early on we were talking about you know, lockdowns. And I, we were talking about, people were saying, are we just willing to sacrifice people for the economy? And my response was, well, don't we do that already with the amount of people that die in rush hour traffic in their morning commute? Uh, We don't, I mean, yeah, we don't. And and that was like, that was a dismissal. I'm like, well, how about more people just go remote? How about more people take public transportation? I didn't think that I thought, well, let them on the highway. Maybe they'll die. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's our society, though. I mean, our society, yeah. at the end of the day, you know, if, if you went to another country, you would see commercials and, and being constantly barraged with the right thing to do and the thing to keep everybody the most safe. That's happening in a lot of most countries, I would say, that I've seen. Mm-hmm. You know, our society doesn't do that. And our government is not saying the just basic things it should just be a repeating wear a mask let's get the air ventilated it should just be a constant thing that we're hearing and so we don't hear it so we are all on our own and you're talking about an individual you know sort of outlook of it but that why wouldn't you think that based on everything that's happened that this isn't a societal response so i yeah i totally get it, it it's it's funny that you bring up that idea but about a month or so ago um, we took the first kind of vacation uh, since COVID started. We went to St. Martin and and all of the signs in St. Martin were exactly like what you were talking about. They were all signs about helping other people. They were all about like, think about the person next to you. Think about this, like think about your choices when they were talking about COVID. And when you look at us, it is it's it's almost like come on wear your mask come on and that turns that turns into the chinese finger trap where people dig in their heels and like it like me i was like turn into the great cornholio are you threatening me when really it's just common sense advice but it is it did turn into a politicized thing that it didn't have to be at all yeah Mark, you got to have thought about this, how COVID became politicized? Well, it absolutely became politicized. I mean, there's no question about it. I mean, one of the first things we chose to do in my family was turn off the the news because that was, uh, I mean, the media, if if it bleeds, it leads. And they were doing everything possible to put fear in the people. And that was uh, that was upsetting to me. I, I did not like that at all, and I did not like how it divided 
the country politically. You know, you're either on this side or you're on this side. You know, there's no, there was no middle ground during that whole early, you know, 2020. That's a whole nother conversation though. Mm-hmm. So you, you think that, that people were trying to put fear in and other people were then saying, don't worry about it? I mean, because if, if there's a divide, if one, if one group is saying put fear in, then the other group. Well, that was the media, right? So that's okay. a, it's not, not a political group necessarily, although arguably, you know, the media is, is slanted to one side, but they were, you know, how do I get more eyeballs? How do I get more advertising dollars? Well, let's just put the clicker up and show how many people are dying. Let's, let's you know, show uh, the ventilators, you know, being pulled into the into the hospitals let's you know let's ease into this with without you know the the fear mongering that you know went on in the beginning of it and i know that we had to pull the alarms i get that but the way they went about it i thought was really distasteful and and it did create a you know i don't believe you therefore i'm on that side and then all of a sudden it just it splintered and and chaos erupted. I mean, it was, uh, you know, I mean, I think we all lived through it, so we saw it, but, you know, the, I feared for our nation for a while. Because of COVID or because we were going to have a civil war? The because civil some war. Some people didn't believe COVID and some people did. I, I, I felt that we were, we were lining up a civil war. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting, isn't it? There always needs to be a common enemy. You know, I mean, if you think about wars, wars have one group against another group. I mean, I know it seems sort of silly to say it, but that creates this divide. Whereas my disappointment about COVID is COVID was an opportunity and still is to remind us of our commonality that we're one group. Everyone is vulnerable to disease. Doesn't matter who you are. Some people more vulnerable than others. But the reality is this virus is a living organism that is adapting. It has its own IM. Remember, everything is an IM. Everything is simply doing the best it can in response to the four domains, this home, the social, the biological and the IC. A virus is no different. The problem is that a virus will take your body as its home and then will subjugate your DNA to make its own. And sometimes that will kill you. When that happens too many times, a virus will adapt and will say to itself, you know what? I cannot be this lethal or I will die. So in order for me as a virus to survive, I will make myself a little less lethal, but I will get into a lot more people. That's what's happened with Omicron. That's what's happening. It is astonishing to me, it truly is, that some people will say, it doesn't matter. I don't know whether the people who don't believe in COVID don't believe in measles or mumps. 
or rubella or any of the things that they all have been vaccinated against, polio. We have a mandate in our country in schools that in order to go into a school, you need to have basic vaccinations. Mm -hmm. am, I, am I missing something here? And yet somehow with this new one, it's become a different way of viewing things. I'm, I'm curious from a teacher's perspective, mm -hmm. Christopher, what was it like for you to know that some people didn't really think COVID was real and that you were then potentially at risk? You know, it, it was hard because there are people within my, my family circle who struggled with that on different levels. There were people who were not who, who uh, believed that COVID was not as dangerous. And then there were people who, you know, to your point about the vaccines, the argument I kept hearing was, oh, it just, the vaccine happened too fast. It happened too fast. Like it's not, oh, I, I'm not against the vaccine, but, but I'm, I, I don't think it's safe yet. Uh, arguments like that. But again, to, to me as a teacher, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't my colleagues you know, my colleagues tend to make the right decision. Um, but, you know, I would hear about students and their families that were still making dangerous decisions during COVID, who were going out, who were going to family parties, who were going to stuff like that. And when it was remote, obviously it didn't bother me as much, but when they started to come back to the classroom, I, I, I almost, I don't know, I almost felt insulted by it. I felt insulted that I was, I don't, I don't want to say I, I begrudge them or, or, or anything like that, but like I was following the protocols. I was going home. I was keeping myself safe. I was making good decisions for them. And then I would have students that would come in and say, oh, my family went to this big family barbecue this weekend or went to this and went to that. And, you know, there's something that happens in you where you just, you, 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 you know, you feel like a goody two shoes. You feel like I'm the one who's doing this and they're not even doing that for me. And, and I'm, I'm by nature a very altruistic person. And I try to think about the greater good and the community and stuff like that. But there were points where my mind went to uh, this almost selfish place that's like, well, 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 if they're doing it, why can't I do it? Like, why am mm -hmm. why like like nobody else is taking it? So, like your mind goes to this almost crazy place where you're like, well, uh, they're they're not taking it seriously. Why why should I? Why shouldn't I be allowed to go out party and go do this? And then there was a part of me that kind of settled down and said, no, th that's fine. You know, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to, I'm going to keep doing what is what is right. Um, but it's hard because, again, some people work from home. I was forced to deal with, you know, 120 students over a two-week period, whether it was remote or hybrid or masked in person, mm -hmm. and you know, you're affected by that, and their actions have a direct effect on 
on you know, their, their, they, their actions had an effect on me. And there was a part of me that again, kept circling back to why isn't my safety important to them as well? You know, why is it like, why am, but I, I it was, it was hard. It was, I don't think that I've fully recovered from COVID, from those mindsets and everything. Um, because it, you know, it, it makes you feel that, that you're not valued as much. Absolutely. That you absolutely. are, yeah. And, and this, because, this because there, there was the health thing, but then there's everything that you see funny that you talk about uh, when you talk about war and you talk about there needing to be an enemy, but you know, at the beginning of COVID teachers were heroes. Mm. And as it started to come back, schools and teachers almost seemed to become the enemy again. Really and, interesting. Uh, and, and as a teacher, as a teacher, there are times where we are vilified, you know, uh, I, I, I had a horror story of a friend of mine who um, was wearing a mask and uh, a parent walked up and ripped the mask off their face. Why does that matter that the teacher is wearing a mask? Why does that matter? But it is, you know, I, I don't know. The teacher is symbolic of something. It's symbolic of the school. And I'm just trying to do my job. I'm trying to help your child. I'm trying to do that. And I feel like we have been you know, we've been vilified again. And again, like all the other essential workers, I would I'd like tend to like, we, we still respect nurses. We understand that they're doing their job. And I, I have a family of nurses. I, you know, my cousins and my aunts are nurses. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we, we have firefighters and police officers are still out there doing what needs to be done. And we have people putting up ways to supporting them. Um, but I feel like teachers have gone back to where we were after being hailed as the people who held kids together and you know uh, uh, we're, we're so proud of them. Um, I, had a, I, I had a person the other day, and it's been a while since I heard this, I, I had a parent that I registered for camp because I'm doing the summer camp stuff as well, who when he found out that I was a teacher, was like, I wanna thank you for what you've done. I can, and, and the first thing that he said was, I can only imagine the abuses that you have gone through. Mm. And I just kind of sat back and I went, it's kind of sad that that's the thought that he thinks of when he mm. thinks about me as a teacher. Interesting. Is, think about the, like, like the abuses you must have gone through. And I'm like, yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Dave, what do you think as, uh, as, a, as a parent? Uh, it was very, very upsetting to watch the abuse the teachers got in our district. Um, we were, I think, the parents who are like mask and let's you know do what needs to be done. We're very taken aback by in a board meeting on Zoom of how vicious people were to the teachers. Mm -hmm. Like we were like, what is this? But you know, we actually have a board member that we there's an anti-mask group and. And he told the board member, told them, you have to attack the union and the teachers. So, you know, it's a really dangerous thing. And we're going to lose teachers. We're going to lose a lot of teachers. We, we're going to have a, we already had a problem. And now we, we are. I, I'm curious, yeah. is, is this, is this an elected board? 
like like we have school committee here in Massachusetts. Yeah. So so the interesting thing is like I live in a very uh, sort of strange community. So it's it's Glendale Unified, which is not LAUSD. It's outside of that. And we have a very large Armenian population and we have a large Korean population and a large white population. The Armenian population mostly controls elected officials. So most of our elected officials are, are Armenian. And, um, and because of that, it's a little more conservative. A lot of their meetings are a little more conservative than everybody else in the district. But they, they largely just vote. We had people in them that they're not, they're not wartime generals, right? They are just people who are like, I'm going to be on a school board. And so no one really paid attention. Like, well, they're a little bit conservative, but it's not that big of a deal because everyone's in this together. But then when COVID hits, all of a sudden, they were a different kind of conservative. Now we have people that don't believe in COVID conservative as opposed to just everyone wants an education conservative. So it it was more like they're elected, but I mean, one of them didn't even run against anybody else. She was the only person running and everyone was like, yeah, her. So it's just one of those situations. And, um, and so it's a little conservative leaning and, 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 and there's the, there's the weird dynamic of the, the ethnicities going on. That's just always makes things a little weird and complicated. Um, as far as the teachers watching them get abused, it was really hard. But then on the other hand, so my son, one of the reasons he really didn't want to go back to school is because he has his main teacher. And then once a day, he has a class with another two other teachers right so two different periods well one of them we knew through baseball was um someone who did not believe in covid and was traveling all the time and going to tournaments and doing all this stuff and so one of the reasons my son did not want to go back to school when the schools opened up was because of her hmm. and she um when i was watching his zoom class one day she had on a mask that you're not supposed to have on it was like a see-through thing that didn't and so i sent a letter to the principal and I was like this, you just got to get her in a regular mask. So that affirmed my son's, you know, fears. He's like, yeah, that's why I don't want to go. And then her husband got COVID. And uh, she still sent her two children to school and she still taught while her husband had COVID in the house. And he got COVID on Sunday and on Friday, it was revealed the two kids and her all had COVID and 78 kids throughout the district had to be quarantined for 10 days. And she was not punished. Nothing happened to her. Everyone acted like it didn't happen. No one acknowledged it publicly. Wow. And it's things like that, that you're like, what does this district care about? And then at the same time, now you have teachers that doesn't help the other teachers. When there's a teacher coming with COVID, it's it's a it's just a mess. And to try to maneuver it is crazy making. I wonder how the other teachers responded to that. I know I'm 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 I have a friend who's on the inside of the district, so I hear all the stuff. They were not <laughs> they were not happy. They were very, very, very upset by it. They also, you know, they also had to because the kids, they have, they also had to quarantine for 10 days because the kids in their class, the two kids. So, yeah, and no one, no one was pleased. 
and and they don't think about the 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 the, the chain reaction that happens from that. You know, that was the thing that was extraordinary to me were all these chain reactions that because of that choice of that teacher, now all these people are affected by that, who are forced to quarantine, who are forced to do this, who are forced to do that. Um, and, and it really, uh, I mean, I saw it a lot in my school. There were, once we started coming back, there were points where, and, and I'm not past, you know, I don't know per se the stories, but they would happen I mean, these little pockets and these little bubbles and they would expand and they would expand and they would expand and it was it was it was uh, it was horrifying and again i was very lucky that i i i did not personally end up in any of those situations during this time i was i've been very blessed and very fortunate but it, it does not mean that i you know ever pulled my mask down or that i didn't play it safe and um you know it's it's hard it's it's hard because you know and we've always you know i had a i had a mentor teacher who said you know the sad tragedy chris of the job that you're going to do is sometimes everything that you do in the classroom is reset when they go home mm. and you know you you can build a, a community in the classroom where you say we need to respect each other and we need to all wear our masks and we all need to stay separate and we all need to do that and you win that fight until 2 30 when they get in the car with a parent who says take that thing off your face it's ridiculous i i can't you know you're 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 you know you're your your classmates are idiots for doing that and you know, that's the sad truth of it you know it's is that part of you think the why they're it's so common resentment toward teachers that it sort of symbolizes a challenge to a parent's influence over their own kids? I think we're seeing that out in the world right now. The question of uh, what should and should not be taught in school. It's it's the, this is all the same issue. This this issue of what should and should not be taught in school goes as deep as just teaching sex ed. Well, mm. I don't want my kid learning about that. I don't want my kid doing this. I don't want them being told that. I don't, that's always the crux of the issue. That's always. How much influence do parents have on the system itself? How much influence should a parent have on the influence itself? You know, it's, it's hard. Uh, you know, I, I have to go, uh, you know, I, 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 I don't know always how I feel about that issue, but we are seeing it now. And the arguments that are going on about what should be taught in school is the same argument that we had about COVID. And it's the same argument that's happened before. I think that COVID was just the current evolution of a problem that we have always seen. You know, again, I remember as a kid, arguments going on about sex ed, about whether or not it should be taught in school or what it, what it should be that should be taught in school. And I remember when I was a kid, a school board meeting where people were arguing about, well, I don't want my kid to sit through that. I, I don't think they're, I don't think that that should be taught in school. People were like, well, I don't want to have that conversation. So I want the school to have that conversation. 
Mm. You know? You know, there's something else that is like not being talked about, and that's my son, when he started seventh grade, he fell in love with history. I was like, oh, <laughs> here we go, because he had an amazing teacher. He's like, this guy is so great. And he was thrilled, and he's he's nothing to do with his dad though Dave. yeah i know right come on (laughs) but he but he's like talking about greek history and he's getting very excited and and then he gets the teacher gets covid and he comes back and he's different he's a little more um grumpy and he's easy to anger and my son is like now he's like i don't that was my favorite class but I don't, like he's not and i explained to him like you know some people have a hard time and change their bodies and and then he got covered again and now he is a completely different human being hmm. and he is just angry and mean and and it's really hard. It's been a hard thing for my son to watch and all the other kids because they loved this guy. And it's like we're not factoring in what besides just people dying, like it's it's really changing people. And we have teachers that are a lot of them are getting COVID because of what we're putting them through. And, and that's hard on them as people to go through it and do their job. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anger is an emotion designed to change things. We get angry when we want somebody to do something different, start doing something, stop doing something. And I could not agree more that there is an enormous emotional concern uh, going on with COVID now. And for me, part of it is actually the stress response. So. Under acute stress, our body activates to protect ourselves from a predator. Our heart rate increases, our blood pressure increases, um, our immune system actually changes in case we get bitten by a predator. We don't want to get an infection. Our clotting factors change. We clot more so that we don't bleed out if we're bitten by a predator. But under chronic stress, all those same things are happening. So under chronic stress, People are at risk for heart attacks, for blood clots, for strokes, for type two diabetes, for high blood pressure. And after enough time, there was this this fascinating study done on these fish. I know it sounds sort of silly because they're fish, but um, bear with me, I won't be floundering on this one. Uh, but, (laughs) But they had a maze and the fish knew that if they got through the maze, there would be food at the other side of it. And so some fish just went right through. Other fish got into the maze and then sort of weren't sure what to do and eventually got through. And some fish never even tried to go into the maze. They just didn't even try. And when the scientists measured the cortisol levels, cortisol is the stress hormone. When they measured the cortisol levels, they found that the fish that never even tried had the highest levels of cortisol. It was as if they were defeated before they even started. And that is my concern with what's happening now. In, in my program at, at 
Riverside, we're a chief medical officer, Riverside Community Care. We have congregate care sites where we have these folks who are taking care of other people and we have to have that staffed. And we had all sorts of policies and protocols in place when it comes to masks and hygiene, all this stuff. And we're finding that some of the, some of the staff just aren't wearing masks. And our HR people are angry with them, saying, you know, you're, you're not following protocol. But what I think is happening is I think they've just given up. Mm -hmm. I don't think they're being oppositional or defiant. I think they feel defeated because physicians, other people are now saying, oh, it's not whether you get COVID, it's when you get COVID. We can't give that message. No. Because that's just going to make us all feel defeated. We'll have this chronic stress. That, I think, is what's happening in our country, maybe in the world. This idea that it doesn't matter what we do. We're up against an enemy we can't beat. I don't believe that. We have way more ability. Human beings, if nothing else, are survival machines. I mean, we've done pretty good, but we're up against the virus. What we need to do is just be aware of it and respect that some people don't believe in the virus. Well, that's fascinating. Let's try to figure out why that's their I am. What is going on that the best they can do is not believe in the virus and other people can. And if we can treat everyone with respect, respect leads to value and value leads to trust. And without that trust, we're not gonna be able to understand why some people say, forget it. I'm, I'm just gonna come in and expose all of you potentially to death. I mean, if they don't, believe that they're going to expose people to death. That's one thing, as opposed to saying, I know that I'm going to kill you if I don't wear a mask. Those are two different things. This, right? uh, I mean, yeah, this ties in to uh, where we left off last time we were talking about the fear response. Mm -hmm. how, the, how you said that there's, you know, there's fight, flight, freeze. And then you said, but there's also fawning. Fawning, which fine. is the the biggest critique of the IM is well, are we just going to roll over for everyone then? Right, right. The fawn response is when you're faced with a predator and you try to talk them out of killing you, <laughs> right? <laughs> and you're fawning, and and some people feel that that is you know basically like being a wimp as opposed to trying really hard to convince somebody not to hurt you. It, it's not quite the same thing as civility. I'm gonna be talking about this with some other folks, but it's a really interesting experience that we're going through. Is there something positive, whether it's hybrid learning, remote learning, in-school learning? What, what is positive gonna come out of this? Dave, you're smiling. I can tell you my son struggled that year. He went back to school. He was a completely different student. He was 100% committed. It completely changed him. He is now an A student hmm. 
and he wants to do really, really good in school. He wants to do his homework. And before COVID, that was not it. So whatever shifted in him, whatever the hard time was, he came out of it the other side going, I'm going to do my best now because school, I guess, means so much more. So I'm curious, what, what do you make of that, Dave? I mean, remember, you're, you're the expert in your kid. What do you think happened? I, I, I really think it's that. I really think that he, because, you know, he, he always hated school. He didn't like school and, and he would kind of do the, the least he could to get by. And I really feel like he, he came out of it valuing school. Like he really, really appreciates school now and appreciates what it is. And something just clicked. And as opposed to being there and just kind of, you know, getting by, he's like, well, I'm here. I'm going to do my best. It, it was, it's very much like, well, I went through a terrible situation and that kind of school is so much worse than hmm. what I thought school was. So it's just a total appreciation. Hmm. Chris. Uh, oh, go ahead, just, Tom. Uh, just seeing Chris off. Thank you for coming on. It's a, uh, means a lot. No, I'm Absolutely. I am. Um, I think this is an important conversation. And I'm, I'm glad you guys are having it. And again, more than ever, you know, Dave, you're in a different world across the country from me. But you know, it's going to hit ahead here, because I was saying before you came on, on February 28th in Massachusetts, masks become optional. And it's and, right after February vacation here. That's right. And that's oh. very so you know, uh, for me, it's, it's, it's a reckoning right now. Right now, for me, I'm on February break, and on Monday, the world is going to change. And, um, you know, I do want to selfishly say, Dave, you seem like a great parent. I wish all mine were like you. I wish they were <laughs> level-headed. You seem like a really great guy, and it seems like what you're doing for your kid, um, you know, it sounds like you are doing what I wish a lot of parents were doing taking it seriously and involving and um i wish you the best i truly truly do and you too um, man i i <laughs> teachers I, you just have it so hard right now like it's just oh. I, so, <laughs> go on, Chris. One more. no no i just i i just uh thank you guys so much for the conversation and um everyone have a good night so wait 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 before you end Hold on, hold yes. on, hold on. Time out. I'm, I'm I got, we're gonna we're no. gonna end on. I got two questions for both of you. Good. Because it has to do with the I am. So if you remember okay. the I am approach, everyone's doing the best they can, yep. right? But we're influenced by these four domains: the home, the social, the biological, and the I see. Because the domains interconnect, a small change can have a big effect. You don't need to change everything. So I'm gonna ask each of you, Chris first, what small change can you recommend to our listeners? so that we can manage COVID and the educational system? Um, you know, again, I think that, I think that for me, what, what COVID exposed about people was uh, a general lack of, for all we talk about, about standing together and as a community, I think that we don't listen to each other. Mm. And, you know, I, you, you said that, and I know Mark, you kind of insinuated that when you were talking about the news and stuff like that and, and everything. I think that COVID stopped us from listening to each other. I think COVID stopped us from 
engaging in conversations. Um, you know, you brought it up, Dr. Joe, about the idea of wanting to uh, listen to other people and understand why they came to the opinions that they have. And for us to be able to move forward, I think we have to listen to people. And I think that we have to be able to have conversations. And as a teacher, I am forced to do that every day. I am forced into a classroom of kids who from a diverse set of backgrounds. And one of the things that I challenge myself every day to do is to listen to them and understand where they're coming from and how they got there. And I think that COVID has exposed that we as a society need to do that more. And I think that we have to do better listening to each other. I think we have to do better engaging in real conversations with people about things. Um, and, and to have a real conversation, you have to listen. And you have to really listen and not go in with a mentality of, I am listening just for my moment to talk. I am listening because I want to hear what you have to say and I want to understand where you are coming from and then digest that and then respond. Yeah. Dave, I'm going to ask you that as well in a moment, but, but I know Chris has got to go, so I'm going to ask him the second part of the I am. Sure. The second part is everyone's got an I am. Everyone is interested through their IC domain in what you think or feel about them, which means you control no one, but you influence everyone. You get to choose the kind of influence you want to be. Christopher, what kind of influence do you want to be? I, I have, um, I've always prided myself on, you know, I, I think that generally in my career, I've always been, I, I describe myself to my students as a way station that they stop off for a while and they mm. get something that they need and they move on. And I think that my, you know, I'm, I, I'm a very altruistic person and my career has always been defined by helping people and by propping people up and helping them on their journeys, whether that's my staff at camp, whether that's my students, whether that's teachers that I'm mentoring. Um, you know, I, I, I think that that is how I would define <laughs> my, my purpose in a way. Wonderful. Thank you so much for your time. I know you got to run because you got you. school tomorrow. Oh, no, I, I just got to get up early. Tomorrow it's vacation. I just, oh. I, I just got to get up early and then what, then what are you rushing off for, Chris? All right. We'll, we'll see you. <laughs> Thanks so much for coming here tonight. Appreciate Dr. it. Dr. Joe, thank you. It's a pleasure. Thanks. Dave, um, thank same, you. same questions for you. Small so, changes can have big effects. What kind of small change can you recommend to our listeners? As far as a small change that has big effects, I think that every concerned parent needs to be vocal and involved. And most importantly, I think we all need to ask for a clean indoor air act of some kind. We mm. need to demand clean air inside our buildings. And it's a very simple thing to do. It's, it's, we all know how to do it. It's, you know, they have the, they have the systems, but I think that everyone just needs to get involved and ask, ask for the basic things. I think a lot of people, 
like you said, they've given up. I think one of the ways they've, they've given up is they just don't feel that their school boards or their whatever will, will do anything. And I think you just, I think you just need to ask for what you want. Because yeah. the loud, the loud people who are angry are getting what they want. And the rest mm. of us, uh, it seems to be very quiet, but they're the majority of people want masks in schools. Every single poll says that it's like 60 to 70%. So everyone just needs to say what they want uh, instead of being quiet and acquiescing to whatever this is, you know, mm-hmm. speak. Yeah, that's, that's not what a mask is meant to do. A mask isn't meant to muffle you just because you're wearing <laughs> yes. a mask. Yes, and then the second, you control no one, you influence everyone. You get to choose the kind of influence you want to be. Dave Anthony. I'm kind of influence. I'm, I'm very big on um, telling the truth and being sort of blunt about it. So it's sort of what my podcast is. So I I really believe about helping people get knowledge of what has been and what is now. Um, so that's sort of always been my thing, but it's make people understand what is happening and, and help them sort of grasp it with the bigger picture and how it affects them. So it's really just giving people knowledge, which is what I always try to do. It's sort of my mm-hmm. drive. Wonderful. I'm curious. I know we're, we're out of time, but and, and this is a question that you may not be able to answer. But how do you think people will look back on this time as a historian yourself, as a person who looks at history and challenges history and explores history? What do you think? I think this is going to be seen as one of the darkest times in American history, if not the darkest time in American history. Wow. I think... I think the um, the lack of empathy is is disturbing, mm. and I think you know Mark's right. I think the the fracture is extraordinary. I I see it growing all the time, but I think I think we look back and and second to slavery. I think this is the darkest time in our history. Huh. So what do we do? What oh, do we do? I, Listen I mean, to the dollop. I wish I wish I knew. I mean, how do you teach people to care about other people? I I don't know. It's such a monumental issue we're facing. Yeah. Well, that is part of what we're trying to do is to remind everyone that we actually all want the same thing, mm-hmm. which is just to feel valued by somebody else. That's all we want. Think about every person you've ever met. The common thread that binds us is we just want to feel valued by somebody else. And what I'm saying is that at every and any moment in time, you can remind someone of their value. And whenever you remind someone of their value, you increase your own value, which is different than what we've been doing. We've been increasing our own value at the expense of somebody else's and then are astonished that they do the same thing. Yeah. We can do something different. We really can. Oh, I so appreciate you giving us your time. Thank you so much for that gift. 
And no, thank Tom, you. Thanks. This was great. We'll love to have you back. Definitely. There, we, there's so much to cover. But yeah, of course, yeah. Uh, this is the kind of things that I love doing. <laughs> great. You're welcome back anytime, anytime. Thanks so much, Mark. Really appreciate your your veracity and and tenacity. And <laughs> it is much more important to be proactive than to be reactive. This is Mark's yes. slogan. Yeah. Great one. Good luck cool. on your tour, Dave. Thank you. Oh, yeah, a different animal. <laughs> yeah, we'll 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 come come and see it. Hopefully, we'll be yeah, able to the come Wilbur. back. Yeah, great. Of backstage yeah. afterwards and check out. And yeah, absolutely. We'll give you tickets and all that. Yeah, good. Well, too <laughs> late for me. I already got <laughs> front rows. There you go. Oh, I got the VIPs. And I'm heading out to LA in a couple of weeks to see my my youngest daughter, who's out there in Sherman Oaks. She's working at, at the Disney Studios as a music oh. editor. So nice. Uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful part of the world. I'm very jealous that you're out there. It's fantastic. It's, I get to surf all the time, so that's what I'm happy about. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Thanks so much. Really appreciate it. Everybody, tonight, thanks for listening to the Dr. Joe Show. Stay safe out there. Bye, everyone. <laughs>